Occasionally, myself and our coaching staff at DadStartingOver.com, we run into a client who has issues that go beyond the scope of coaching. They may have really severe anxiety, depression, suicidal ideation, and this is the point where our coaches stop and say, have you spoken to a therapist? What a lot of these men say is, I've looked into it, not a lot of options in my area, it can't work with my schedule, or I have an appointment schedule, but I can't get in for another four months. In other words, the need is there. They recognize the need. They see the value in the therapy, but the options for getting the therapy are extremely limited in their area. Well, thanks to our friends at BetterHelp.com, there is an option for you. BetterHelp is a unique service that allows you to talk to a licensed therapist from your area via your telephone or your computer. You can do voice chat with them if you wish. You can email back and forth. You can text with them all on your time schedule, all from the convenience of your phone or your computer. So check it out at betterhelp.com DSO. That's betterhelp.com DSO and get 10% off your first month of service with BetterHelp. failures, relationship failures, what would the hero of your life's movie do right now? Hello and welcome to Dad's Dating After Divorce. My name is Jude Sandval and I am one of your hosts and the founder and creator of the Divorce Advocate community and my colleague here is... My name is Ralph, but I go by the pen name DSO, which stands for Dad Starting Over. I'm the founder of dadstartingover.com and the men's group called the DSO Fraternity. And I've also authored several books, including the popular one titled The Dead Bedroom Fix. And today our guest, I'm unbelievably excited about that. Uh, uh, I've followed him for many years and have had a great conversation with him on my podcast in the past. And uh, his, his fascination with psychology began as a child growing up in the family owned bar of all places where he watched his father diffuse all manner of problems. And he knew then that he had found his calling. He earned a BA degree in psychology and communication from the University of Colorado at Denver, as well as a doctorate in clinical psychology from the University of Denver. His clinical training has included the treatment of trauma, substance abuse, and traumatic brain injury. And he took an early interest in treating anxiety disorders and working with couples. He's been in private practice since 2008, and he's the author of several books, including the one we're going to be uh, primarily discussing today, which is The Tactical Guide to Women, How Men Can Manage Risk in Dating and Marriage. Welcome, Sean T. Smith. Well, thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for, thanks for being here. And, and, and Sean, you're, you're wildly popular across the internet. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure you might know that a, a little bit. And, and um, I, I found you uh, years and years back and, and I follow your blog and, and follow your website. And, and I've read your book. This, this book is absolutely phenomenal. Like what I was saying offline that it should be basic reading for any teen male that is starting to date or a young man that's starting to date, but it is definitely one that I've recommended multiple times on my show and also to, to, to men in, 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 in private, in my private um, practices as well. And so tell us a little bit about yourself and then kind of what led you to write this book. And I know you also have a companion book for women. Yeah. What, what led me to write the book and, and thanks for pointing out that you know, I would also like to see young men read it because part of my motivation for writing the book was uh, to cover the things that I wish someone had told me when I was younger. Um, and the reason I wrote the book was, uh, as you mentioned, I've been in clinical private practice for a long time now, and uh, something compelled me when I was working with men early in my career and they would talk about relationship problems. I just started wondering who taught you about relationships. Who taught you how to pick women in relationships? And the answer invariably was no one. You know, we, we're left to sort it out for ourselves. And that usually involves a whole lot of mistakes. And so the reason I wrote the book is to just hopefully just cut out some of those mistakes for anybody who, who, uh, you know, is looking for a little bit of strategy. Right. That's, uh, Man, I, yeah, I saw Ralph shaking his head and I was definitely shaking my head and it's not something that's, 
that it's not something that's taught in school. And if you don't have a strong male figure, mm-hmm. which I would argue that these days we have less and less of, unfortunately, then you kind of learn on the go and then you end up being me in my in my 50s still making mistakes and going back to your book and referencing like chapter six personality disorders and how to deal with uh how to deal with uh you know somebody around that so so our stability right that's chapter six um so i'd like to for us to just kind of chat with the dads and have an open conversation uh, about the the three parts of your book, the first being risk management, the second being the bright triad, and part three how to com- how to avoid completely effing up your life, and maybe um, through each of those, I, I know that that first part really talks about um, self development, and and take us through that so that we can give some tips to to the dads that are getting out there again after uh, after their uh, their marriage ends, and how we can help them to kind of mitigate some of the risk that you that you mentioned quite uh, often and throughout the book. Yeah, well, that first part of the book is about uh, it is about finding what the reason that you're on the planet before you start uh, taking on passengers, so to speak. And mm-hmm. I'd be curious if you guys think that it's equally applicable to guys who are more established in their 40s and 50s. But I wrote that section for with younger men in mind, 20s and 30s, because I think what a lot of guys do is they will pick their relationships without thinking, how does this woman fit into where I'm going in, in life? And one of the challenges for young guys, you know, it's pretty rough being a young guy because you have this sense that the world is expecting something of you. And it, it's pretty clear that every society throughout time and across cultures expects young men to provide something. We don't get the free ride that women and children do. We don't, we don't need to, but there is that expectation. But if you're a young guy, a lot of times you have no idea what it is that you're here to do and what your purpose is going to be ultimately. And so if you're, if you're choosing relationships and women before you figure out what your values are, um, you know, you're kind of setting yourself up for, for a lot of conflict down the road because the values will start to collide and your sense of purpose will sense will start to collide with what her sense of purpose is, unless you happen to get lucky and you pick someone that, that it turns out aligns with you, but luck is kind of iffy strategy. But I'd be curious if you guys think that that's something that older guys, forties and fifties, sixties coming out of divorce, do you think it's a equally applicable question? Yeah, I do. If I may. Um, it's interesting that what we're describing and if you, agree Sean or not is a very um, a very pragmatic way of looking at relationships does this person fit this is what I as a man prescribed for the ideal mate and she needs to fit in these parameters that is ironically something that I think women innately do when they're looking for their man is he going to be a good provider for me is he going to be able to protect me is he going to be fill in the blank um, while for men from my experience uh, <laughs> it is basically is she pretty enough not too pretty because that, you know, scares a lot of men off, um, yeah. ask any supermodel type person. And uh, does she like me? And that's about it. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, a lot of men think I found my soulmate in math class in seventh grade. That's and it. Is she pretty and does she talk to me? <laughs> pretty and does she talk to me? That's a, that about summarizes it. So we're, we're telling these men post-divorce, you know, that old playbook that you had, that is a big reason why you got in this mess that you're in in the first place in your forties and fifties. So it's a different world, dude. And frankly, it's, it's, it's some people think the rules are completely different now. And this is a completely different landscape that we're in with dating and everything else. I need to go into this with a new mindset. Well, technically you needed to be in the same mindset some 30 odd years ago when you met your first wife, the rules, I guess the ground rules haven't necessarily changed. So if you want to have a good dating life going forward and possibly find Mrs. Wright, uh, yeah, you're going to need to be a little bit more pragmatic about this thing and, uh, look at this, um, it, you, you dare you, you don't want to say a cold point of view, but uh, not an overly romanticized point of view, I guess, is a better way of saying it. Yeah, I think you use the word pragmatic, and I think that's the right word. Um, mm. There's there's a couple things in, in what you're just talking about. One is your old patterns, your own playbook, as you said, your way of doing relationships, the way you organize yourself around other people. Um, that's one. And it's it's a big one for guys coming out of divorce, because you hear that 
the, the second, the rate of second divorces is higher than the rate of first divorces. And the rate of third divorces is higher than second divorces. The more times you marry, the more likely you are to get divorced. But there's a huge caveat to that. The, the guys who figure out what they brought, you know, just objectively, what they brought and what the other person brought, because it's, it's easy to err on the side of the other person's the bad guy or I'm the bad guy. Guys, you know, people will make those two kinds of errors. So if you can get a, a reasonable assessment of what you brought into the relationship without taking on too much or too little responsibility, then your chances of succeeding in the next marriage skyrocket. And I don't mm -hmm. have data for that. That's just sort of my, my clinical observation. But then the other piece, aside from your relationship patterns and your playbook, is the, your vision of the world. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with Thomas Sowell. He's an economist, but mm -hmm. he, wrote, he wrote one of his many books is called A Conflict of Visions. And in this book, he talks about two ways of viewing the world. And it's not the only two ways. It's just the only two ways that he talks about in this book. And there's the vision that aligns roughly with Democrats and, and the, the, the vision that aligns roughly with Republicans. But what he's saying is that beneath your political orientation is your, your philosophy and your ideology. And believe, beneath your philosophy and ideology is your vision and the way you see, it's basically the way you see other human beings and the way you see the world should be. And your vision of the world, you know, taking it away from the realm of politics, the way you see the world informs every decision that you're going to make from the, from your view of money to your view of education to the view of how you're going to raise your children. And if your vision is not aligned with her vision and vice versa, then you're just setting up a, a field of conflict for everything that comes along and not even really understanding where that conflict is coming from because our vision of the world is, is so transparent to ourselves because you know we're we're the fish in water basically we can't see our vision of the world unless we start thinking about it so so getting a clear sense of where your values lie and where her values lie i i think when i when i've worked with older guys coming out of their first marriages that continues to be a, an issue for them that they haven't really thought about their values and their vision of the world and how that may or may not uh, sync with somebody else's values and vision. Yeah. And you, you covered a lot there and I, and I wanted to, to go back to your first point too, which was take the time to learn, to understand what you brought, uh, to the relationship, what your, your, um, uh, what your part was in the relationship. And, and to do that, do you feel like you need to take time off from dating after, your divorce to, to be able to clearly to work through that, to understand that, where do you feel that you can do that in getting in relationship again? Because the big question I get from guys a lot is, oh, I, I want to get in a relationship that's going to help me to understand myself better. But, you know, is that positive? Is that negative? Do you see something in, in, in your practice that's one way or the other is better? Um, yeah, that's a wonderful question, because I don't think there's a there's not a, a uniform answer. I think it depends. The only time I would say it's probably not a good idea to do that work within a relationship is if you've been using relationships as an escape and, and as, as a comfort for yourself. But at the same time, how do you practice relationships without being in relationships? So maybe there's some guys for whom a little break is necessary because they're not able to really function fully on their own. And I do think that's a that's an important piece to be able to function on your own mm -hmm. so that you're not coming in with a sense of desperation. And this, this relationship is my savior and my rescue. You know, that that's a pretty dangerous mindset. Yeah, a lot of men that I talk to, uh, they may not be so heady about, you know, I'm desperate and I don't know how to function without another human being, but it's just that they are in relationship mode mm -hmm. that that's all they know. And they've known relationship mode for 20 some odd years, husband, wife, staying at home, watching TV every Friday. And they want that back more than anything. It's just something that they're, they're familiar with the single life of going to clubs and bars and me. It's just, I don't like that. So when they find one that again, she's somewhat nice and she's kind of easy on the eyes, I will make her wife number two, like two months after right. I've divorced wife number one. And right. they don't look at it as treating the woman like a human band-aid. All they look at is, I just feel comfortable. This is what I know. And this is what I like. And she likes that too. And here we go. And yeah. From what human I've seen. Band-aid. I like that. About nine times out of 10, it doesn't end very well because he hasn't worked through the issues of 
you just need to work on yourself. Take a time out. Think about all these things. Stop using these people as human band-aids. Sure enough, there's a codependency thing going on here. You need to, um, what's wrong with being a single dude and dating around for a while if you want to do that? But with the caveat of also there's these other guys that when I say just date around for a while, as soon as they find one, they wipe the slate clean of other dating candidates and say, I'm going to focus on this one. And it's only this one. And they get their heart broken and they go, you know, go back into their cave and hide for a while because they're heartbroken again. So I guess case could be made. Jump in the deep end of the pool, learn how to swim, or just take your time, figure out, you know, what's going on between the years and get that straight first. Yeah. And I think the, the unifying concept there is figuring out what your motivations and your behaviors are. And if you can do that in a relationship, okay. If you need to do it outside of a relationship, okay. But that's the task. Yep. Yeah. And what you described, Ralph, was exactly me. I just was in relationship mode, got back into another relationship. That one didn't work. Got into another one. That didn't work. Got into another one. That didn't work until I finally said, oh, okay, there's a common denominator that that is was working here. And that's me not knowing what it is that I'm bringing that's that's causing all these relationships to fail. And so I need to stop. I need to really take some time and then really go through the, I call it the seasons, going through the seasons, going through a full year of seasons by myself with my, with my family. And, and I feel like that is a particularly good way to go about it. Like right after a divorce, when you might be, we're talking with, with dads and, and I'm a dad uh, in being able to adjust to a new life with children as a single father, et cetera, without having a distraction of another romantic relationship in there that might be so heavy for you. So comments on that, Sean? Um, without the distraction of another relationship. Yeah. So it sounds like what you were doing is you were, you were doing that work of figuring out your relationship patterns. And it sounds like if it's, if I'm hearing you right, that for you, it needed to happen outside of a relationship. Yes, for sure. Well, I needed to do what you what you said, which is really take the time, understand what I value, what I want to create my vision and direction for my life, and then be able to uh, create that start to cre create that life and then bring somebody in that can that can complement that and, and be part of that yeah. without me having to do that in the context of the relationship of that being part of it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, or, or the driving force behind it. Yeah, yeah, a relationship can be very distracting from your overall quote mission as a guy, you know, mm -hmm. when you're head over heels in love, especially when you're fresh out of a divorce and you're hurting so badly and you're traumatized and, Oh, now I feel great with this one. Um, it's very easy to push some very important stuff to the side just to focus on Miss Perfect. And I've heard of guys saying, I went ahead and let my ex-wife take the kids, you know, an extra week or weekend. Cause I'm going off to wherever with the new gal. I'm like, Oof, be careful. Um, and work gets shoved aside and everything else. And then when that relationship, I was going to say inevitably, not necessarily, will probably fail. Um, then you're left with, oh, crap. Now I got to clean up the uh, the pieces mm -hmm. of the mess that I've made from ignoring all these things for so long. For some men, not for all. Right, right. Let's talk, let's talk about your second point too. And, and that ties into what just what Ralph just said about our, our, our mission and as, as men and, and that inherent masculine nature that we have to be on, on mission and, and creating that vision of the world in uh, knowing, knowing, or not creating that vision, knowing what our vision of the world is. And are there, there's some tips, Sean, that you, that you can give the men in, in, in doing that, in, in working through coming to that uh, understanding and knowledge? For finding your, yeah, finding your purpose. Yeah, yeah, finding your purpose. Yeah, understanding what your vision of the world is, what that, where that aligns, where that falls on the spectrum. Yeah. Curious what you guys think, but I think one of the keys for younger guys in particular, if you're not one of those guys who's lucky enough to know why you're here and what you're supposed to be doing is to do a little bit of experimentation and mm. you try different paths. And when you try something, you find out if you like it or not. And Yeah. So what a, in my very pragmatic look at, at the world of relationships, I think one of the worst things a man can do is marry his high school sweetheart because you have so much growing to do through your teens, through your 20s, hell, even into your 30s. Each decade, I'm just a completely new, different person based upon all these experiences I've had. And to have one person that you meet in high school, for example, and drag them along through all of those changes, and everything will be fine through all of those changes, through her personality changes and yours and your different way of looking at the world, you know, good luck. Um, I find that um, 
the best partners are those that have been through all those things and have navigated all those turbulent waters of life and figured out exactly what it is they want and what their mission or purpose is. And they're, I think they're far more likely to have successful relationships. Yeah, I do think that the, the earlier you marry, the tougher it is generally. The exception to that is if each of you is very invested in um, a cultural structure, like a religion. Like if you're, mm -hmm. if you're both Mormon and you're both committed to Mormonism, yeah. then yeah, that's, that's a, a really great framework to, to work from. You're probably going to grow in similar directions. But something like that aside, um, yeah, it, it is tough to predict that the two of you are going to grow in similar directions unless you're really clear that you have similar values and you both want to go in the same direction. You both have a similar vision of the world and what you want to accomplish. Yeah, I don't know what I don't know what the statistics are about arranged marriages, for example, in some cultures. I think that they have a pretty good track record of sticking it out for decades throughout their whole life. Yeah, and I have to imagine that there's some cultural framework there that supports. Yeah, that. I would think so. <laughs> some we don't constraints and parameters around the whole thing. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, yeah. That's so John, that John Bon Jovi. That. Didn't John Bon Jovi isn't he married to his high school sweetheart? And I don't know anything about that marriage, but. And I don't know if I'm even talking about the right rock star, but I'd be really <laughs> curious to know how that worked for them. With, with well, a touring uh, multi-platinum mus <laughs> male musician. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious how that works. Yeah. There's well, got to be some cultural framework that, that supports that. Well, it's very interesting that you say that, Ralph, because I, I look back on, on my life, my dating life, my marriage, and then my post-dating life. And, and I think back and I feel like it would have benefited me to have married earlier in my life, to have um, taken that time, knowing with the caveat of knowing what I know now. Now, that's, that seems to be the challenge, though, and this is why I feel these, these conversations are so important. Your book is so important, Sean, is that if I had somebody who had taught me more about relationships like I try to do with my daughters to talk them through um, not that I, and I always tell them, like, I'm not an expert. I'm just sharing with you all of my mistakes, basically, so that you can you can see and try to understand how to better uh, navigate a relationship. But if I had somebody that was helping and we taught you talk about that, that cultural structure of families and being able to, to talk and share with them and and guide them through that through that process. If I had uh, somebody to do that, I think it would have been more beneficial for me to marry younger and be able to work through those challenging and grow together because at this point now, Ralph, you've been successful in a, in a second marriage. I have not. And it's been over nine years now in, in finding somebody. I find that navigating the waters now, it's, it feels like, and obviously I can't go back and, and, and relive life, but it, it feels like it is much more challenging now than it would have been in my, in my younger years. Had I known a little bit more, but also had a little more guidance. What is it about youth that makes it less challenging in your mind? What is it about uh, what is it about youth? Um, what it what it is about youth is those experiences can be problematic to pair bonding. That can be problematic to um, creating a, an environment and a life with somebody if there's and, and and I think maybe some of this has to do with with trauma, childhood trauma, unresolved trauma, a lot of the stuff that that you uh, talk about in your book, uh, Sean, with uh, personality disorders, stuff like that, that mitigating some of that on the back end is because of the experiences that they've had in that time frame. Any thoughts on that, Sean? Say, sorry, say that again. Help me out with that one. So, so it's more, it, it feels to me to be more challenging at this juncture in life in, in late, uh, you know, late midlife, late 40s, 30s, 40s, because of all the experiences that, that people have taken from their lifetime and going through maybe previous marriages, relationships, whatever it may be, then trying then to come together and mitigate all of that, particularly with, with kids and family. And again, I'm talking specifically to, to dads and try to work through all that baggage, if, if you will, but just challenges in order to, to find that, um, that spot where you can then go forward and have a, a healthy marriage and go, and go forward. Yeah, all that history is certainly, I mean, it's, it's a blessing and a curse because you know where you stand, but in terms of your values and your vision and your purpose, but at the same time, it's, it, it, it clearly can contradicts with 
you, you find out as you get older that what you're about contradicts um, to some degree, almost what everyone, what they're about, if that makes any sense. Like when you're 18, all the girls are a good fit. When you're 60, <laughs> almost <laughs> none of them are a good fit. Mm -hmm. yeah, right, Interesting right. way of looking at it. You know, Jude, going back to your point, is it almost as if you are saying, if I catch a potential partner early on, then there's a far less chance of life in the decades between now and 40 something to screw them up. I, I can be there early in, in the process of the courtship and everything else to mitigate some of the, the nastiness that can happen in the, in the preceding proceeding in the, uh, in the future decades, in the decades coming up. Is that what you're saying? Basically is yeah, catch them early and I have a better chance of molding them to the relationship that is best or not, 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 is not necessarily molding them, but building together. So the mindset would be yeah. building together rather than a remodeling project like to use a guy analogy, construction analogy that you'd be building stuff, something together. And while that is challenging, right? Because there's all, who knows where you're going to go, who knows what your, your, passions are and your personality changes, et cetera, you can do that and build together. And if you're proactive, I feel like it's easier to do than going back and doing a remodeling project. I, I have a background in construction. It's easier to do a new build than it is to go back and, and remodel yeah, yeah. Or, or scrape and, and do everything. I think this is an excellent point to build on, to keep your the construction analogy. Uh, Sean, would you say, let's say when you look at the spectrum of things that could happen to a youngster that will affect them in the future relationship wise, um, trauma, abuse, whatever it may be, are the chances that let's say, let's use the age of 18 years old. You meet a gal at 18 versus you meet her at 40. Jude, you would say, man, I wish I met this gal at 18. It probably would have been quote easier. Well, Sean, is it in your clinical, clinical experience that eh, even 18, buddy, you're probably a little late. You need to catch them when they're more like, eight or nine years old, because the, we're, we're setting, you know, a lot of, we're imprinting a lot of things throughout adolescence and childhood and puberty and so forth. If you're, if you're thinking catching them 18 is going to make things better, not necessarily. Where do you think? It's such an interesting hypothetical. If you, the person that you meet at 40 was a different person when they were 18 and, and they grew to get where they are and would they have been a good fit at 18? I don't know. That's an interesting hypothetical, but I do um, I, I like the this concept of building together that I guess the ideal couple is that they they both come from some place where they good relationships were modeled for them, meaning they learned how to handle conflict and come out the other side and they learned how to build things together and learn things about uh, shared values and so forth. So if if both parties have that and if both parties are on board with the other party's values, either because they were intentional about it and thoughtful about their choice or because they got lucky um, and they both want to build the same thing, then yeah, I think when you start, when you're in your 20s and you want to build a family, that's the ideal situation because you've got the energy and that's when we're supposed to be building families biologically is mm -hmm. you know, early mm -hmm. 20s. And so if you have all those things by way of foundation, then yeah, you're going to build something together. And frankly, I think this is how we don't really count successful marriages very well. My sense is that most marriages that start off that way with, with good shared values, either through intention or through luck, that most marriages work out pretty good. And, and part of it is they built something together. And so it's not that they're each growing on their own. It's that they're influencing each other and they're, they're becoming more and more like each other as they go along in terms of values and, and purpose. Mm -hmm. I That's often a use long-winded answer. Sorry. No, I like, I often yeah, use right. my, in my writing and stuff. Um, I break it down and make it a little bit more technical in, in saying if, when you're looking for a partner, you want to make sure that they have the uh, the disposition, personality, and skills needed to make a long-term monogamous relationship work yeah. in today's framework, in today's society. It's mm -hmm. a little bit different than it was 20 years ago, for sure. And one of the things, very simple, is uh, uh, temptation to cross the line and go to inappropriate territory. By my estimation, oh my gosh, it's more than it's ever been. You know, I have a supercomputer phone here in my pocket that I can literally pick up and talk to any woman all over the planet if I wanted to. That's a lot of temptation for a guy that doesn't have much in the way of boundaries. Same for the opposite sex. So I say, look for somebody that has those shared values, if you want to call it that, or as I say, the skills 
and the know-how to navigate. And from what I've seen after talking to a thousand plus dudes one-on-one is uh, how do you determine if they have those skills and stuff? Well, look at mom and dad. What was their, what was their role model growing up? What was their foundation growing up? What did they see? You know, if you talk to a, a gal and she says, oh, my mom, she's a narcissist alcoholic and my dad left and he abandoned the family. So she's probably not going to have, as, as terrible as to say, the chances are she's not going to have the relationship skills that a woman who says my mom and dad are the most loving, sweet couple ever. And they've been together for 50 years and they're amazing. I hope to be like that one day. You know, if you're a betting man, what you're going to go with is being the potential good lifelong partner. Yeah, certainly easier for the the second example there. Yeah. But yeah, that's been in the tactical guide. I, I talk a bit about emotional maturity and looking for exactly what you're talking about, the skills to navigate conflict and, and temptation and that sort of thing. And one of the biggest elements there is time because people can make a good impression for a while, but it gets harder and harder to maintain an illusion. And so with time, you're able to look at all kinds of variables, like what is their family like? If their family had some troubles, did this person do the work to overcome them? Mm-hmm. What are their friends and what are their friends like? And how do their friends relate to them? And what's it like to travel with this person? And what's it like when this person gets really pissed off at me? Do they handle it like an adult or mm-hmm. they handle it like a little kid? And the, the more time you spend with somebody, Um, the easier it is to get a baseline of their behavior, their maturity, their stability, their mental health. And so people always ask, well, how long should you date someone? And my answer to that is that, okay, we, we, we go through this honeymoon phase in a relationship or an infatuation phase where Mm. we are motivated to see the best in the other person and to downplay the worst in the other person because we are idealizing them, got them on a pedestal and vice versa. And so it's all a big smoke show, right? Or a big smoke and mirror show. Um, We're not seeing the world correctly. And we know that this shows up in brain chemistry. Like there's some really rough indirect measures for how the brain changes when we're in that infatuation phase with somebody. And we're literally under the influence of different brain chemistry. We've deviated Mm -hmm. from our baseline. So my answer for how long to date somebody before you start making big decisions is wait until you get to the end of that infatuation phase. And you you have a good indication you're getting to the end when the other person starts to become three-dimensional to you. In other words, they're not always perfect. And all the little things that you used to find charming, like how much time she spends getting ready to go out, now it starts to get a little annoying because you're always late. And so you start to, you start to get the other side of them. That's a good indication that you're coming out of that infatuation phase. And then just as a nice round figure, I suggest a year after that, because now you see them a little more clearly and you haven't seen them clearly up to this point. So why not study them for a year and vice versa and make it very well known that we're studying each other here. And during Amen. this time, we are not going to, get entangled with puppies and leases and shared right. cars and all the <laughs> yeah. things that make, make it counts. difficult to yeah. step away. Yeah. That's now, now we're talking to the 40 somethings that I talked to who I met a gal and six months later, we are mixing mm-hmm. our families. We're talking about buying a house together. I'm like, Oh dude, yeah. Add on another year and a half to that. And maybe, and a lot of men, their eyes get big when you say that, like what? No way. It's like, yeah. I gave it almost four years with my second wife before we tied the knot from knowing mm-hmm. each other and dating for almost four years. Yeah, we we went through trauma together. We saw the good. We saw the bad. We had our holy shit moments, as I call them. I mm-hmm. saw how she dealt with it. She saw how I did. We worked through things. And I'll, lo and behold, I'll be damned. We're a pretty good partnership. There you that's go. How you, that's how you do it. Um, but you, yeah. you can't rush that process. You can speed it up no. a little bit, for example, by traveling with somebody that that will bring up a little bit of tension and stress test the relationship, but you really can't (laughs) rush the process of seeing how they react to the natural world. Yeah. Scott, Sean, I don't know if you're familiar with Scott Stanley's work at the university of, um, of Denver, and he has a great book called the power of commitment where he talks about that, how we backslide into relationships and what, you know, we get the puppy, we get the lease, we get the bank accounts. And then we're like, Oh, now maybe we should just get married. Yeah, That's his just... his research was a was a big influence on that point in my book. He talks specific. He the word entanglement is his word. Entanglements yeah. are things that make it hard to back away from a relationship, and then the momentum carries you forward. And then the next thing you know, you're at the altar and thinking, "Holy shit, how did I get here?" 
Right. Intentionality is huge, particularly at this point in our life, being dads and having children that will be impacted by the choices that you're going to make in this next romantic relationship. And that's something that I feel like we need to take great care around because they're getting to see now this can be an opportunity. This can be an opportunity for modeling a, a, a good way in which to get through this challenging time and do the work on yourself and then potentially find another relationship that then you can model that's more positive than the one you may have had with, uh, with your ex, um, or it can go the other, other direction, which is a train wreck and you just continue creating trauma and difficulty and challenges and showing the wrong way in which uh, you should do that for your children. So it creates this generational thing, not to put too much pressure on everybody out there listening, but it is an opportunity if you do it the right way. Yeah. And it's a lot easier to handle a train wreck if you haven't shacked up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. Well, let's talk a little more about that because that's, uh, you mentioned maturity and that's one of the bright, one of the part two, the bright triad. Tell us about some of the other, some of the other, or the other two bright, tri other two parts of the bright triad. <laughs> well, there's maturity, which is what we've been talking about, ability to handle conflict right. and so forth. You know, the ability to act like an adult when things get difficult. Um, I talked about clarity, which is uh, how clear is she about her intentions? The meaning, does she know what she wants out of life? And really importantly, can she state what she wants assertively with you? Because guys get in real trouble. There's, it's easy for women to become martyrs in a relationship, and it's easy for men to let them become martyrs in a relationship. And I've seen this pattern, God, I don't know how many times, where he'll play along as she, as she is putting her her um, her interests on the back burner for him. But of course, she's going to get resentful eventually. So clarity has a lot of layers to it. From can she tell you what she wants in the moment, so that she's not you're not trying to figure it out and you're you're you know you're just muddling around trying to figure out what's going on. Can she um, assert what she needs in the relationship in a larger sense? Like, what does she want from you in terms of uh, your time and attention and so forth? And also, where is she going in life? Because she's not clear about, does she want kids? Does she not want kids? Does she want to work? Does she want a career? You know, all these questions that women, uh, you know, women are told that they can have it all. Men are not told that we can have it all. We know that we can't have it all. But women get this message, you can have it all, girl. Yes, queen, right. you know, you you can <laughs> slay it all. And it's bullshit, you can't have it all. You have to make trades, trade-offs in life. So is she clear about the trade-offs that she's making? And does she understand that she's making trade-offs? So there's, there's that component of clarity. And then I talk about um, mental health. And I outline some of the garden variety mental health problems that, that men and women deal with in the book. And I talk a little bit about personality disorders. I'm very careful to point out that we have to be really thoughtful and it's, it's a bad idea generally to, to um, diagnose our, our other or our significant others having some kind of personality disorder. Because if you look around on Instagram and Twitter and social media, every woman's ex-husband was a narcissist and every man's ex-wife was a borderline, and that can't possibly be the case, you know, because we know mm -hmm. what the we know what the base rates are. So it, it's really easy to blame them. But at the same time, it is really important to notice to to be able to recognize the patterns that accompany these personality styles. And I prefer personality style to to disorder, but for for reasons that don't matter. we can talk about it if you want. But I think one of the main points in that that discussion of mental health is that her struggling with something like depression or anxiety or substance abuse or just the garden variety stuff, that's not a rule out in my, in my mind. Maybe it's a rule out to you. I don't tell anybody how to run their relationships, but I think a, a useful way to think about those kinds of problems is, did she handle it? Because if a person handles that kind of problem, they actually come out the other side a better partner than they would have been if they had never faced a difficulty and learned how to overcome it. So this it's it's not necessarily the absence of mental health problems that you're looking for. It's how they handle them because everybody's got something going on. Yeah, and and to your your first point about the the clarity that is the what you just described and what you just shared is kind of the opposite of the 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 new age thought. David Data love through it and 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 love through her 
ups and downs and emotional waves and back and forth and, you know, be the strong man and rock and foundation. And it's just crap because they have need, they had needed to do the work to understand themselves. And we can't be the ones that, that do that work for them or figure that out for them. If we're doing just, that. That's a yeah. huge, huge problem. Exactly. I was just talking to a gentleman today who, after doing this for so many years, probably has the worst example of a textbook narcissistic personality disorder wife. I'm not a psychologist. I can't, you know, diagnose her, but boy, she was checking every box there was. Just a very, very broken person. And she was just really making this guy's life hell for like the last, I think, 10 years or so. And they have three kids and he's just telling me all these stories. And I'm just sitting back like, oh my God. And uh, he has gone to lots of guru types that he saw online and he books and spends a lot of money with these guys. And he's telling me the general consensus from all these guys is basically um, you need to be a more masculine person and lead more and create a framework where she can be more soft and feminine. And I say that may be the case for some guys with one one thousandth of the trauma that you have experienced through this woman. This woman just needs some some serious professional help. And she did so 10 years ago. And the woman, obviously, she came from a mother who was a narcissistic. The father left just very textbook stuff, and she never, ever got help with it. And here he is, and he's suffering as a result of this. And everyone is coming back to him telling him, you just need to work harder, dude. And I say, that's bullshit. Uh, you, you need to work hard for yourself. But in this particular case, and in a lot of cases like it, it's a 50-50 thing. And she has never, ever raised her hand in all these years and said, I need help. And I said, it's never going to work then unless she does just that. And by the way, if she does eventually raise her hand and say, I need help, you're in for years of pretty intense work on her part. And can she string those years together and make it work? Good luck. Good luck. But he's still sticking it out and hoping, fingers crossed, that things turn around. So this guy has, has the belief that if he works hard enough, he can make this relationship work. That's a very common refrain amongst Change men her right nature. now. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's a very common refrain. Hey, that, was lot me, of that, was, that was me in my marriage. I could love through it. Love conquers all. And I just mm -hmm. keep working hard until I just beat my head against the wall so many yep. times. And, and you say it in your yeah. book, Sean, you, you say definitively, if they're not willing to do the work, then that's that then that's a sign that you just you can walk away. It's okay to walk away if they're not willing to do that. I'm paraphrasing, obviously, but speak to that. No, I, I think you phrased it well, that if they're not willing to do the work, what are we talking about here? Right. You're, you're going to be able to do the work of two people and, and one of them who's not working at all and, and actually may be motivated to stay the way they are. Yeah. And yeah. actually get, and actually get in the way of you trying to improve yourself yes. and so forth with this guy, every time he tried to, you know, lift a finger to improve his, his self, the wife was just this fine tuned machine of, I see what you're doing there and you're purposely trying to hurt me. No, I'm just going to the gym. I'm just going to therapy. Yes, you're doing so to hurt me. I know you are. I mean, you know, just yeah. awful stuff. And I feel for the guy, but yeah, I hear that far too often, which goes to a larger picture question, if I may, of uh, there is also a giant online presence of men right now, not necessarily our age, 40s and beyond, younger guys too, who are listening to everything that we're saying about what it takes to make a relationship work, finding a woman, and they're hearing a lot of work, 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 work. Mm -hmm. And their eyes are just glazing over saying, dude, I don't know if it's worth it. And they're just literally backing out of the relationship game. Mm -hmm. And they call themselves a uh, MGTOW. I don't know if you're familiar with this. It's a very loosely organized yeah. group of men, men going their own way. And, and the other variations of whatever you want to call that, a movement, if you will. Yeah. And uh, boy, they can't shut up about it. They just, they don't see the reason for this. They don't like the idea of interpersonal relationships. They see no upside. It's, you know, just all risk and no reward. And they evangelize this to anyone who will listen over and over again. That and they just—I uh, don't thoughts on that, Sean. Yeah, there there are a lot of wounded guys out there trying to spread their misery, and that's a cynical way of stating it. I don't know if they're actually trying to spread their misery. They're, I if I give them the benefit of the doubt, they're trying to warn other guys that yeah, they're evangelizing. Yeah, yeah, and and trying to save other guys from pain. But there's also a very self-centered component to that where. You know, I don't have to be alone in my pain if I can convince you that the world sucks too. So yeah, there, there's a lot of wounded guys out there and some of them are gurus and that charge a lot for their services and, and build these online communities of men. And, and 
but to your, I'll set that aside to your other point about men getting this message that it's all work. Yeah. I, I see it in the David data stuff and David data has got a lot of good positive message to offer yeah. that, um, around female nature and male nature and, and that you can coexist peacefully with this, I think is part of his message, but there is also this component you're talking about where you got, if you just work harder, you'll right. make it work, which is a, a very, that's a very masculine trap to fall into. If I just yep. work harder, I can fix, I can rescue this girl. I can fix this relationship. I can change the world. And in terms of, you know, I can change her world, but also from my profession, you know, my professional clinical psychology, and there's two sides to my profession. There's a clinical side and there's the research side. And the research side gets all the press because they do the study and so forth. And they're, they're almost like two entirely different professions because we're mechanics in the trenches and they are thinkers in the ivory tower. And they, they you know, if they're good communicators, they can uh, get a lot of press. But the way the research side of my profession treats men is absolutely disgusting. It's shitty. It's, it's repulsive to me. For example... There was a, a recent blog post on psychology today, and I forget the author's name, but he's a he's a psychologist, and I don't know his resume very well. I don't know if he's more of, he's more of a clinician actually. I think than it doesn't matter. He's a psychologist, and his message to men was: women are expecting men to come in with with good relationship skills increasingly. They have ever rising expectations. And so men, you just need to step up and you need to do better. Now he didn't have any specific recommendations on how men can improve their relationship skills, whatever that means. He didn't even really define what that means. So his message to men is you're doing it wrong. Shame on you, do better. No recipe, no specificity of exactly what men are doing it wrong. It's just this message of shame, work harder, shame, work harder. And so guys are getting it from all sides. They're getting it from my profession, which treats men like a disease. They're getting it from the David data side, even though there's good, there's a lot of good messaging there. And in the mm -hmm. red pill community, there's a lot of good messaging there. But again, it's this, the other side of that is you just have to work harder. You just have to be better. You just have to try harder, harder, harder. And it's, it's, the male trap of trying to rescue writ large on a society societal scale. So who can blame guys for joining MGTOW or for becoming incels and saying, like you said, it's it's all risk and no reward. Well, Sean, I would I would even posit that we're doing that at a young age with our young young boys in yes. schools, teaching them, you know, saying, you know, be more like a girl. <laughs> be, yeah. be 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 quiet and and don't be don't uh don't embrace your 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 masculine nature of rowdiness and running around and jumping and being loud or uh, taking risks or or any of that stuff that is masculine nature and telling them be more like you know be sit quiet and be more like the girls or yeah. obey or, or be obedient and then so now we have i would I would say more than one generation, generations now that have grown up like that, because that's that was part of, of of my issue was, oh yeah, it's not good to be a male. It's not good to 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 be masculine, to achieve, to just uh, you know have that uh, that aggressive uh, nature of of challenging life and going out and, and getting it. And then we do, and then exactly what you talk about is how you know, we get into a relationship, we have a failed one, then we start another one. And so in the context of the dads listening that want to date again, maybe if they see that that is, um, they're in a relationship with a woman who just has that, uh, has that mentality that is, she's just not going to, not going to make the efforts to to, to do something, to, to make a change, to, to talk about things, to figure out the skills or, or better communication to do that. that. That's maybe one of the primary or first red, uh, red flags to like, yeah, maybe I'm out of this. Yeah. And so an alternative to that maybe is to that, to, to be skeptical about the messaging. So part of the messaging from the David data camp, and again, I like his work, but part of it is women bring chaos, they bring emotional chaos. And your job is to be the center of the, you know, the eye of the storm or however mm -hmm. he might phrase it. Well, there's some truth to that. Women, mm -hmm. women have a, a little more um, emotional, I don't want to say this, a little more emotional chaos on the surface than we do. And part of that I think is predisposition. Part of it is, is socialization, but whatever. Um, women do bring a little, are going to bring a little chaos in your life. Any human being will, but women will bring a little chaos in your life. So, okay, that's, that's a useful message. Part of the message from the red pill community is women never take responsibility. Okay. Well, 
maybe there's a little truth to that. Maybe societies don't hold women to the same uh, same level of accountability to which they hold men. There's some truth to that. But the flip side of that, and what gets lost in all that, is that there are women out there who do take accountability, who are growth-oriented, who are attentive to their relationships, and they care about people, and they want to feed people you know, spiritually, physically, however you want to put that. There are good women out there, and that gets lost if you get sucked into any version, extreme version of these messages. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Which, which, would, which would take us to how do we avoid completely effing up our life, which is the, the last part uh, of, of your book. And I love that title, but a couple of, couple of tips for completely the next. So the next relationship I'm in, Sean, how do I absolutely positively avoid completely effing up my life in that relationship? I honestly, I'm re- having trouble recalling what I wrote in there, but off the top of my head, <laughs> the thing that, that comes to mind is just being aware of your own relationship patterns so that you don't just keep repeating them. Yeah. Yeah. So avoid the most common blunders in safety and mastery, which is the one that I like the most. I wonder what I said there. Safety and mastery. I was talking about relationship skills, right? Yeah, exactly. Mastering yourself and mastering relationship skills and and getting better, which kind of goes to what we're talking about in being in relation with others. These like, like Ralph was talking about the, the MGTOW and, and the others that say, avoid the relationships. Like we're meant as human beings to be in relation with each other. And so avoiding all that, it, it, it strips us of an opportunity to fully live our human experience and, and, and be able to, to, to grow mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually. So being doing that, being in relationship helps you to start like anything, mastering yourself, mastering your relationships. And as men, I feel like that's an important thing to continue to, to be involved with. Yeah. Well, you, you know, as a father, if you want, if you want to know about yourself, have a kid, cause you will, you will find out about yourself, <laughs> things that you won't find if you're not in a relationship. And I, I, I know guys, I'm sure we all know guys who are, are what the MGTOW aspire to be. They just, you know, they're not interested in relationships, but the thing about them is they don't go around talking about how they're not interested in relationships. They just don't have a relationship and they, they live their life in other ways. But um, yeah, if you really want to find out what you're made of, then in that realm, then yeah, you get in a relationship, maybe you have kids. But to pick on us a little bit, and I preach much the same thing, but I'll tell you, uh, I can see where that would put pressure on men to we're basically saying if you want to see your full self-actualized version of yourself it must be within the framework of a relationship yeah i don't um, know I, I would back yeah if i said that i'd back off that message well that's kind of the language that we all say in a way it's that you yeah. don't really feel until you have a kid you don't really know yourself that well um if you want to you know experience life to its fullest you do so when you're in a relationship with another etc so i think that puts pressure on some men to say shit i better find a relationship fast and they overlook yeah. a lot of the things that you point out in your book, uh, a lot of things that I say about, hey, red flags to avoid. And they just, you know, put their fingers in their ears and say, la, 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 I need to be in a relationship. Otherwise, what's this life for? What's my value as a man? And yeah. that's when you get into some trouble. Yeah. And and I I don't make value judgments, not because I'm trying to to be the middle of the road guy. I just don't make value judgments on how other people live their lives. So if a guy wants to have family and kids, cool. If he doesn't, cool. Um, it just so happens that you will learn more things about yourself. You will learn things in a certain direction if you have family and kids that you won't learn if you don't. I mean, that should be obvious. And maybe if you're spending your time in a profession and that's where your energy goes instead of family and kids, well, you're going to learn things there that you wouldn't mm-hmm. learn if you were, if you'd gone the other path. So it's, it's not. Or the other side of the, the coin, which is you're not necessarily in a one-on-one relationship, but maybe you're for the next 30 years of your life, you're the next, you're, you're a bachelor. Yeah. You have four or five gals that you're dating casually. Maybe yeah. that's, that's your model for life. And that can be fulfilling for some men. And some men may end up saying, I'm actually, after being married once, twice, three times, I realize I'm more wired for this. It, you yeah. know, unfortunately, I had to go through all of that to realize that, but this is who I am. And I yeah. don't think there's anything wrong with that. Unfortunately, no, there's not. parts of society that shame that out of men. And uh, I was actually in a meeting, this is years ago, where they were talking about possibly promoting a young man who uh, a young man, he was in his 30s, um, to some bigger position. And the guy goes, yeah, but he's not married. And he winced. And the other guy goes, ooh, 
like ever? Yeah. And he's like, no, no kids, no, no wife, nothing. He goes, yeah, I don't know. And I'm just back there like, what the hell guys, <laughs> what does it matter? Yeah. And yeah, to their exactly. point, he's, he's not as dependable. He's, he's going to be a, a loose cannon. He's going to be a wild man dating and everything. we got to worry about him. Uh, who knows what the thought who? process. Yeah. Yeah. But that's just kind of, uh, you hear that a lot with a lot of people, like something's yeah. not quite right. I think maybe uh, women even get that worse. You know, if you got a 40 something year old woman who's never been married, everybody goes, "Uh Oh, what's going yeah. on there? Yeah. So it's crazy of, cat lady. Yeah. Crazy cat lady. That's right. The wild aunt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The only thing I would caution guys is if you're, if you're going to go that path of no family, no kids, just be attentive to the fact that someday, if you're lucky, you're going to be 70, 80, 90 years old. And that's not, you're not going to have that component of your life. And if you're cool with that, then cool. I, I have no value judgment about that, mm-hmm. but don't ignore the question. Yep. Exactly right. Sean, thank you so much. This was such a phenomenal uh, conversation. Ralph, do you have any, any other questions, any other comments? You no, have, sir. This, this other... has been a pleasure. Um, I apologize. Her... I have not read the book, but I plan on it. Absolutely. But no, no need to apologize. There's a lot of good books out there. There are. <laughs> there are. That's one thing I've noticed in a, a psychological uh, point of view here or, uh, or left turn here is that, wow, men love to read these nonfiction books when it comes to how to better navigate the relationship world, how to be a better man. I know yeah. dudes that have read like 30, 40 some odd books on this topic. <laughs> I have, I'll tell you a quick story describing about that. Me. <laughs> well, it's describing a lot of you guys. I had a long time ago before uh, the gatekeepers and publishing kind of you know, the gatekeepers came down or that, that was an awkward sentence, you know what I mean? But back yeah, when there were gatekeepers, I think, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And I, I self pub or I traditionally published a couple of books through a through New Harbinger, you know, a couple of, of decent publishers. And I went to my editor one time. I said, I want to write a relationship book for, for men. And the answer was men don't read relationship books. Like they wouldn't even <laughs> consider it. And I have taken great satisfaction in how wrong they were about that. Because for one thing, it's just nice that they were wrong. The guys do read, the guys are interested in this, but also it's, it's kind of nice. I, I had a little shot in Freud there of I was right and you were wrong. Mm-hmm. Guys do read this stuff. And Absolutely. thank God that I self-published because you make a lot more money that way. Yeah, there, there is a distinct male thing that I have noticed in myself as well as guys that I work with, which is once they get an interest in something, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of men who have ADHD do this, where they hyper-focus on that something that really gets them going, and they just dig and dig, and they watch YouTube videos, and they read books, yeah. and they go to seminars, and they hire a guru and, and listen to him. And yeah. to the point until they're absolutely exhausted by the information, then they lose interest and move on to the next thing. Right. Yeah. Well, the yes. book is The Tactical Guide to Women, How Men Can Manage Risk in Dating and Marriage. It is awesome. Highly recommend it to everybody listening. Sean, where can the where can the audience connect with you if they want to check out your blog or your, your um, private practice? I have practice, a website. At, yeah, I don't have much out there. I have a website at Iron Shrink dot com and i love it that's cool cool name periodically (laughs) and then i'm on twitter at iron shrink that's about it got a small youtube channel well good and yeah i'll I'll give you a plug for your youtube channel because your videos are absolutely phenomenal and spot on a lot of humor a lot of good information so check that out as well your blog is as well all of your information is great sean so well thanks guys um, check it out check it all out guys and uh if you found value in, in what we shared today please Give us, a, give us a star rating, give us a comment, share it far and wide, and uh, we will see you next week. Sean T. Smith, thank you again. I appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Be the hero of your own movie. If your life was a movie and it started now, forget about whatever financial disasters you've had personal failures, relationship failures, what would the hero of your life's movie do right now? If you're listening to this, you're probably a guy who is interested in self-improvement. You probably consume a lot of information, like these podcasts, YouTube videos, audiobooks, courses, everything you can to learn more and help you become the best man that you can be. And if you're like a lot of men, there's something still missing. Well, I can tell you what that missing thing probably is. Quality time with other men that are on the same mission as you. Some of you probably have casual relationships with your fellow soccer dads or the occasional beer with guys from the neighborhood, but none of them seem to be on the same page as you. Am I right? 
They seem content with their shitty marriages, their shitty jobs, and their expanding waistlines. They have all but given up. You find yourself talking to them about the same football teams, listening to their stories about their subpar home life, and you're getting to the point where you dread hanging around them. Well, the good news is that we have assembled a group of men just like you. We call our group the DSO Fraternity. We have live Zoom meetings that are hosted by yours truly, along with the other members of the DSO team. We have a very active private discussion forum, a Discord server for our lifetime members, a members-only podcast, access to my books in audiobook and PDF format at no extra charge, discounts on one-on-one coaching with myself and other members of the team, discounts on our video courses, and access to our in-person gatherings. We have met in Nashville, Tennessee, Austin, Texas, Las Vegas, Australia, Amsterdam, and soon in New Orleans. So check it out, the DSO Fraternity at dsofraternity.com. We have monthly, annual, and lifetime membership options available. I think you will find our group is the missing piece of the puzzle that you have been looking for.